Meanwhile, on the Godbeat. Hey, Godbeat listeners. This is Sandy Villarreal, the Chief Digital Officer here at Sojourners. We recently sent one of our editors to New York City for the Games for Change Festival to talk with game designers about their socially conscious endeavors, whether video games can teach us how to love our neighbors better, and perhaps if creating video games could bring us closer to God. Here's J.P. Keenan with a story. For the past 14 years now, hundreds of game designers and game enthusiasts have picked up their creations and taken them to New York City to share about their love of video games at the Games for Change Festival. But these aren't your typical Call of Duties or Grand Theft Autos. These games aim for something higher, something that makes this world a better place. Games like Four Horsemen, where you take the perspective of an immigrant teenager and learn how to navigate your new school, language, and even try to understand code switching. Or their experiences in virtual reality, walking through crowds of protesters outside of Planned Parenthood as you try to enter a clinic to access healthcare. At this year's festival, the term empathy game is the phrase everyone is buzzing about. It's the idea that video games, especially innovations in virtual reality, can become the ultimate empathy machines that everyone is selling them out to be. But some developers who I spoke with are wary to jump on the bandwagon just yet. So do the bands tend to pull high or do they shoot straight? Just figure it out. Inside the Parsons School of Design, groups of young people are scattered throughout the second floor cafeteria, testing out new games, heads inside virtual reality equipment and rubber bands being flung from board games, and sometimes even developers themselves joining in on the fun. Kelly Dunlap, a psychologist and game designer herself, premiered her new game, Ellie Beagle Therapy Dog, about mental health. In her game, you essentially step into the shoes, or pause, I suppose, of a licensed therapist and objectively cute beagle talking with other dog clients. I asked her why games are so useful for empathy building and dealing with issues like mental health. Readers read, uh, you watch a movie, but players do. They're actively involved. It's the only medium where you say, I did something. You know, I rescued the princess. I conquered the mountain. You don't say that in any other kind of genre, books, comics, anything like that. I think that's where the, the strength of games comes in, is they, they allow you to view the world from someone else's perspective, um, but also feel the world from someone else's perspective. Kelly is a new game designer, but people like her are all over this place. They're excited to be able to make games they want to play, and untethered from the old gatekeepers of the industry. Since technology has become so accessible now, the doors have been open to anyone who really wants to design a game. When you have so many different people with different perspectives, it creates this amazing, energetic, creative environment where you, you want to do better and you, you want to make the next cool thing and to share it with your, your Games for Change friends. Um, because games for so long were literally an old boys club. You know, you, you either had the firewall of needing to be in an academic setting to have access to a computer, or you needed to be wealthy to have a computer, or you needed to know how to code. And all these walls have come crumbling down. Chris Milk was an early virtual reality entrepreneur and filmmaker who championed VR as the next step in the evolution of media and inspired many who are here now. Here he is on the TED stage in 2014. It connects humans to other humans in a profound way that I've never seen before in any other form of media. And it can change people's perception of each other. And that's how I think virtual reality has the potential 
to actually change the world. So it's a machine, but through this machine, we become more compassionate, we become more empathetic, and we become more connected, and ultimately, we become more human. Thank you. All right, so um, this part is going to go you know, over your head, and you have this little knob down here, so if you have any trouble focusing while you're in the experience, you can just kind of adjust that. So this is the instructor helping prepare me for my first virtual reality experience at the conference. Tight on your head, and then these little headphones, just switch them over your ears, and you can be all set. So this is um, a project that you... Uh, it's kind of about human rights violations for journalists, and you are going to be in an interrogation. You're being interrogated in a prison in Iran, and you are going to be nodding yes and no to the questions, and that will progress the story along. Let us in! You're under arrest! So I'm strapped into this high-definition, 360-degree movement headset that covers my eyes and ears. It's pitch black and then slowly light starts to form through a burlap sack, and I see someone across from me who's been beaten and blindfolded. As I look around the dark room, all I can hear are faint screams. I'm actually feeling disturbed and pretty terrified of not being able to move or escape. The interrogator in front of me turns on a camera as he wields a pistol. There is a divine sense of relief when you let go. Tell someone the truth. You helped us overthrow the Shah, that Western puppet. But then you took pictures. This is from a game called Blindfold, made in collaboration with the Society to Protect Journalists and Ink Stories, a media production company. When designing the game, they interviewed a number of journalists who'd been detained to make sure the experience was as authentic as they could make it. Games like this are designed not just to raise awareness and to inform you about a particular issue, whether it be freedom of the press or a refugee crisis in Syria, but to put you directly in the shoes of those at risk and show you how it feels. Shaking your head yes or no to questions from an interrogator. For now, when I ask you a question, you will answer by nodding your head. Or hearing insults trying to enter a Planned Parenthood clinic. These type of experience games is what people think will change the industry. They're hoping that by living out these people's experiences, we're transformed from them and walk away with changed hearts and a new sense of empathy. And from the looks of what's being premiered at the festival, this future is rapidly approaching. Some here are skeptical about experience games. Ryan and Amy Green are two game developers speaking as one of the keynote speakers here on how we should be focusing more on relationship rather than empathy. For us, we feel like um, perhaps empathy shouldn't be our goal, that in fact uh, our goal should be drawing closer to people, and uh, you draw closer to people through knowing them. Amy and Ryan are trying to embrace the relational power of video games rather than perspective-taking. Empathy, like the definition of it, is that you understand someone by taking their point of view. 
Um, but then compassion means to suffer with someone. And those two concepts felt so different to me as we looked at them. We use them so interchangeably, like, oh, they had so much empathy or they had so much compassion, like they're the same thing. But to me, it was very, it's a very different idea to just like intensely imagine what someone's experiencing versus like to sit with them in their pain and in their suffering, to, to be a part of their life day in and day out and to be close to them. One of the things that games do sometimes is, is they put you in a simulator situation. So it's a poverty simulator or a homelessness simulator um, where you're going to play as this homeless person. And um, with the idea that if you step into that person's shoes and you gain their perspective, then you get the understanding. And I think that that, um, I think that, that can work to gain some understanding, but I think also sometimes we miss the point because as soon as you're in that person's shoes... Um, in a game, then you're trying to figure out how do I get to the win state of this game? How do I make the right choices to do better, to be the very best homeless person, to get out of this situation? But I just wonder how that is different from a game where where um, maybe you're the person that, that sits down with the homeless person, that brings them into your home, that um, spends time with them, that gets to know their story, that you're not trying to be them, you're just trying to be a person in their life who's close to them. Because in our real life, mm-hmm. we aren't changed by just imagining what a person's like, life might be like. We're changed by the people we know, the people we meet, the people that we build community with. So if instead we have empathy games that are you practicing building community with people who aren't like you and who you naturally wouldn't be drawn to, then that's something that you can continue to practice in your real life as you go, you know, in the game... I, I spent all this time with this person that I would never seek out in real life. What would happen if I did seek that kind of person out in real life? What would happen if I did step into their world and try to lighten their load and just and just be with them? Amy and Ryan know firsthand about the transformative power of video games. Their award-winning game, That Dragon Cancer, followed their own personal journey through losing their five-year-old son to cancer. And they didn't force you into their shoes and have you make decisions. They simply invited you into their journey, sometimes being a duck in a pond while Ryan is playing with his son, Joel. Or being a bird fluttering from lighthouse to lighthouse in an endless ocean as you enter different rooms of their life as they traveled for cancer treatments. Or entering into the thoughts of Ryan and Amy as they're in the doctor's office when they hear that Joel's cancer is terminal. No, 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 no. Size matters. If I know how big it is, I can I can face it. I can size it up. And it's quite small at this point, but unfortunately the yes, size. I have imagined it. I've imagined it a lot, but not like this. It's different. I thought I would sob uncontrollably or puke just right on the floor. I thought I'd shake or wail or something. I guess this is shock. And seeing quite literally the room begin to flood and storm the more that the words sink in.
My, my favorite thing to say is um, that I created a world and then I put my son in it and I asked you to love him and then I wanted that love to change you. And, um, and I think that there's no more adequate metaphor for creation um, and, and the love of God and, and, the, and the promise of Christ and, and all of that. So to me, it's a perfect shadow because it's no more than a shadow, right? But it's like a perfect shadow of the created order to me. As game developers who put their own story of despair and loss into a game, Amy and Ryan struggled with how their story might change people's perceptions of God. Games are probably like a lot of other mediums where like, could you design something that specifically led to someone having a relationship with God? Probably not. But could you make something not even meaning to that would speak to someone in the right moment because the Holy Spirit was just on that moment? Like, I think people do that all the time without meaning to. And it, it ended up throughout the process of making that dragon cancer, I, I changed how I was approaching it because our story changed. So as we began making the game, we were hoping that we were telling this like amazing testimony of healing because we'd seen all these crazy miracles with Joel. And instead he died in the middle of making the game. And so um, there was points in the game where we're like putting the prayers we prayed the night he died into the game and it's so hard for me because those prayers were the most hopeful prayers I had ever prayed in my life. This is the part of the story where a daring rescue can thwart death's intentions just in time perhaps when it looks like it's already too late. Death is the given but the life that is possible now for Joel, the miracle that could come now that death is so close, is something worth pursuing, worth risking everything to see with my own They're eyes. just depressing. Like, they're just these hard, difficult, weighty prayers because the player knows he dies. But I didn't know he died. When we were praying, when we were praying those prayers, I had as much expectation as I've ever had, like this is the moment we're about to see the most amazing thing we've ever seen because we'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle and there was no doubt in my mind that this was gonna be the biggest thing that we had seen yet and that's not what happened. So then I had to stop and say, is it even responsible to release a game where I show here is the culmination of all of my faith and then God said no and my, my son died and to put that out there. I struggled so much about like, does this turn people away from God? Am I releasing something that will just affirm for them what what broke their heart and, and led them to leave leave faith in the first place? It was weird to shift from like, I'm gonna create this thing that's gonna like change people to like, I'm just gonna pray that God does whatever he wants to do with it. Um, and, and so it was just a letting go process of saying, I don't know if I can design something that will lead you closer to love, but hopefully I can pray that love will just be like in it and on it and around it. The trouble with trying to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, even through virtual reality, is that we'll never really know what it's like. We'll always have the chance to take off our headsets and live our own life. But what if we built virtual experiences that teach us how to come alongside one another, how to be allies or be friends who show up in real life when prayers aren't answered? If game developers like Ryan and Amy are the future in this field, maybe there is hope. Here's Ryan accepting a Game of the Year award. In the end, it was not the story that we wanted to tell. But you chose to love us through our grief by being willing to stop and to listen, and to not turn away. 
to let my son Joel's life change you because you chose to see him and to experience how we loved him. And I have hope that when we are all willing to see each other, not for just who we want to be, but who we are and who we're meant to be, this act of love and this act of grace can change the world. Thank you. This story was produced and edited by J.P. Keenan with editing assistance from Jenna Barnett. Music by John Hillman, who composed the soundtrack for That Dragon Cancer, and also the composer Evolve. A special thanks to the Games for Change Festival for helping with the story, and also Ink Stories for their game Blindfold, Planned Parenthood for their experience across the line, Numinous Games for their game That Dragon Cancer, TED Talks, and the Game Awards as well. You can read more about That Dragon Cancer and check out other resources by clicking on this episode on our show page, soja.net slash godbeat. Thanks for listening.